So today we continue our series on roots as we've been journeying through the Old Testament at the key stories and narratives that shape who we are. And we've been following our roots all the way back. Adam and Eve, Noah, Jacob, Joseph. And last week when we talked about the story of Joseph, we've got this man who, who begins uh, sold into slavery, thrown into prison, and then through the grace of God raised to being second in command over all of Egypt right beneath the Pharaoh. If you remember last week, we were telling that story and telling that story and telling that story. <laughs> And telling that story, all right? So somebody called me out on the fact that the sermon last week was like 45 minutes. My bad. Here's the deal. At the very beginning, yeah, run tell that. At the very beginning, somebody in the back corner yelled, preach it. At that point, it was over, all right? I'm sorry. And then that guy was asleep at the end of the message. But anyway, <laughs> true story. But um <laughs> You have no, uh, in, in the, the story of Joshua today, do not fear, do not be terrified, for Lisa Kurtz has a stopwatch, all right? It's totally cool. She, she is literally timing it. Okay, um, so as we talk through that story, and we looked at this, this promise of, of that God was with Joseph all the way through. And so Joseph's family joins him in Egypt. They leave Canaan where they had been from and they move into Egypt and they settle there. And because of Joseph's position, they are given a privileged place there in Egypt. And so the family begins to grow. Remember, these are the descendants. These are the, the, the grandsons of Jacob and, and, and of Isaac and of Abraham. So these descendants of Abraham, the family begins to grow and expand and over time, there is this population boom among Abraham's descendants, among the Hebrew people, among the Jewish people. And so as that family expands and grows, the Bible tells us that a new Pharaoh comes into power. And remember how, how much favor Joseph had had under the old Pharaoh and set his family up for that. But it says that a new Pharaoh comes into power and it says this Pharaoh did not know Joseph. He did not remember who Joseph was. And because of that, then, then as he sees this population boom among the Jewish people, he sees that threat against his leadership as they begin to grow. And he says, hey, if these people revolt against us, then we are, we're in trouble. So he forces them, he, he, he puts them under this incredible oppression and forces them into slavery. Right? And for hundreds of years, the Jewish people, those who have been chosen by God, the descendants of Abraham, the, the, in the, the people who were heirs of the promise of Abraham, lived under the yoke of slavery in Egypt. And they cried out to God, God, remember us. Remember us. Come and rescue us. And God hears their cries, and he does something about it. As we've said many times here, what kind of God is it that we serve? The kind of God who hears the cries of slaves and does something about it. That should stir hope in our hearts. And so God does, and he develops this plan and this design, and he, he chooses Moses to be the man who will lead them out of Egypt. And sure enough, he raises Moses up, 
And Moses goes in to Egypt and he leads God's people out of slavery and bondage hundreds of years, generation after generation of hoping for it. And now they finally taste it themselves. And so today we're moving past that story and into the story of Joshua, not because it's not important, because this is the central narrative of the entire Old Testament. And much of what we learn in the New Testament has to be drawn back to this narrative of the Exodus story, the story of these people being led out of slavery and into freedom. So this is an incredibly central story, but but the reason we're kind of moving past it this morning is because in about every other message, I talk about Moses, all right? And, And so we have talked about this quite a bit. It's like, okay, Moses and then Lord of the Rings, all right, as far as frequency of of mentions. So um, we're going to move past that and now into the Joshua story. So this story of Moses, the central narrative of the entire Old Testament, the, the narrative that sheds light on what Jesus Christ came to do to be the new Moses, to lead us out of captivity of sin into the promised land of salvation, forgiveness, grace, and freedom. And so in this story, as, as Moses has led these people out, and they're there in the desert, they're prepared to cross over the boundary of the Jordan River, which is what's separating them from the land that God has promised to give them. Right? And as they're getting ready to cross over and take hold of this land, they send some spies over to check it out and to let them know exactly what they're facing. The spies come back. And the majority report from the spies is, listen, the land is beautiful. The land is bountiful. It would be a great place for us to live. Everything that God has said about it is true. Absolutely beautiful. But we can't do it. We can't do it because giants live in that land. And we cannot take it. We just can't do it. And fear spread among the people. And the people began to side with that idea. There were two spies, however, among them. Two young men, Caleb and a fellow named Joshua, who came back with a different report. And they said, yeah, there, there are some major obstacles in taking this land. But we can do it because God has promised it. And God would not lead us into something that he could not handle himself. I agree with these other guys. We probably can't handle it, but God can. Let's trust him. Let's risk it. Let's follow him into this fight. But the people, filled with fear, side with the others, and they beg Moses, don't lead us into that place. We can't do it. We can't do it. And because of their consistent doubt, because of their consistent disbelief, because of their consistent disobedience as a people, instead of being able to go into the promised land, they had to wander around in the desert for 40 years. And once that generation of doubters had passed on, there was a new generation that took their place, the generation of Joshua and of Caleb. And now it was time for them to cross over. So that's where we pick up our story today. Here we have this people coming out of slavery and spending 40 years wandering in the desert and and being on the verge of the promise, being on the edge of the promise, ready to step into it. And God comes to Joshua and he says, Joshua, now is the time and you are going to lead these people into everything that I have promised them. Into everything that I've promised them. And so here's what God says to Joshua. 
these encouraging words. And as we go through this, there are four different commands that we're going to pull out that we're going to claim as commands for us as well. All right? We, we, in this story, we are not trying to set up any of the leaders of this church to represent Joshua and leading a people. Every one of you represents Joshua in this story. The Joshua character is speaking to every one of us, okay, to all of us as a body. And so we're going to claim all of these commands that we find through here. The first one is this, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Here's what God says to him, starting with verse 3 in chapter 1. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Skipping on then, it says there in verse 5, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous for the Lord is with you. Incredible. Incredible promise here. As we walk through, let me start with the first piece that he says to Joshua there. God says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And we find here that God's faithfulness in the past fuels courage for the present and stirs hope for the future. God's faithfulness in the past fuels courage in the present and stirs hope for the future. This is the God who has not failed you yet. He has never failed you. His track record to you is perfect. This is the God who heard your cries while you were in slavery and did something about it. This is the God who has faithfully led you, whose presence has remained with you. And do you think he's going to leave you now? Absolutely not. He is with you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Faithfulness in the past gives us courage in the present and stirs hope in the future. As a church, we embrace this and we can look back on our very short story and see incredible ways that God has been faithful to us just over this past year. Even the place where we sit. Our friend Maggie, who came and prayed for us earlier, when we uh, first moved to town, Maggie invited Sarah and I and Justin and Janine over to her house for a meal and her and her husband, Paul, we had a great time. And Maggie says, we've got a friend that you need to meet. His name is Mickey. You need to come to a prayer meeting with me and meet him. We go and we meet this guy. Later, when we're trying to get into this theater, we're making calls and calls and calls and getting absolutely nowhere. And the suspicion was confirmed in me that I am, in fact, a nobody. All right? Nobody would call me back, right? And so finally, I share this with our friend Mickey, who happens to know some people. Next thing I know, these people are calling us and saying, hey, we hear you want to use the theater for something. All right. Beautiful. The way God's faithfulness works. And there are countless stories of this. And there are countless stories, not just in the life of this church, 
but in the life of this church right here, in your own lives. And you can look back over your shoulder and you can say, God has been so faithful to me. I have nothing to fear in the future. It will continue. It will continue. So then he moves on. He says, be strong and courageous. Why? Is it something that comes from within yourself? No. But yes. Not from within yourself, but from within yourself, as in the presence of God that lives within you. Because God is with you, be strong and courageous. Courage does not come from the absence of danger. Courage does not come from the absence of difficulty or from the absence of uncertainty, from the absence of the unknown. Courage comes from the presence of God. Courage comes from the presence of God. And when God is with you, absolutely nothing is impossible. The question that we posed last week in the story of Joseph echoes over to us today again. What would you try and who would you be if you actually believed that God was with you? Who would you be? What would you try if you really believed that? It doesn't come from the absence of danger or the absence of uncertainty. It comes from the presence of God. God is with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And I love the other thing that he tells Joshua here when he says, I will give you every place where you plant your foot. With every step you take, you are claiming new ground. What a beautiful promise. And the same promise is true for us today. And it works like this. Because God's presence lives within us, It goes with us everywhere we go. And so with every step we take, we are expanding the boundaries of his kingdom in this world. Everywhere you go, his kingdom is unfurling and unrolling right ahead of you. And he is there to meet you every step that you take. And so God's kingdom begins to look in these incredible and creative and eclectic and diverse ways. So all of a sudden, it looks like my office, or it looks like your classroom, or it looks like your operating room or your paper route. It runs from Franklin Street to Weaver Street. Every step you take, it unfurls in front of you. Every step you take expands the kingdom of God in this world. God is with you. God is with you, and he is advancing his kingdom and his purposes with every step that you take. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because God is with you, and that makes absolutely all of the difference. The second command that we see in this, God says to, or Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord is going to do amazing things among you. Chapter 3. Starting here in verse, uh, in verse 2, here's what God says to Joshua as they prepare to cross over the Jordan River and into the land that God had promised them. They're going to carry with them the Ark of the Covenant, which was the physical presence of God with these people. And so everywhere that they went, God's presence went with them as they carried this Ark with them. And so here's what he says about his presence. He says, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. 
follow the presence. Follow the presence. As the presence of God moves, he is leading you into new things. Follow the presence. That is our role as a church. That is our responsibility as a church. Our job is not to be the coolest church in Chapel Hill. It is not our job to come up with the next groundbreaking idea. It is not our job to stir up some kind of press or notoriety. Absolutely not. It is not our job to be successful as a church. It is our job to follow the presence. And wherever the presence moves, we step in behind it. And it does not matter about the unknown that lies on the other side of it. It says, follow the presence. Follow it. Because you have never been this way before. And as you follow it, it will show you where to go. It will show you where to go. When God leads you into the unknown, he goes first. When God leads you into the unknown, he goes first. Just follow the presence. Here here is our commitment to you as leadership. And I hope that you will make this commitment with us as well. We will not chase after trends. We will not chase after notoriety. We will not chase after signs of success. We will follow the presence. That is what we want to do. You hold us to that, and we'll try to hold you to that as well. When we step into the unknown, God goes first. God goes first. Okay, so the next thing that he says then is he tells the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord is going to do amazing things among you. We prepare ourselves today for what God is about to do tomorrow. We prepare ourselves today for what he's about to do tomorrow. And that's what we want to call ourselves to as a church. To set ourselves aside. To live in such a way that our lives are prepared for whatever it is that God wants to do among us. All the way through scripture, you see this happening. Joseph, when he was a slave, Joseph, when he was in prison, he was, his heart was being prepared for that moment when he stepped into second in command over all of Egypt. The story of David, when David was a shepherd, protecting his shepherd against a lion and against a bear, he was being prepared for the moment when he would have to run into battle against a giant. It became natural for them because they were being prepared for it all the way. Prepare yourselves, because God is going to do something amazing among you. But we have to get our hearts ready. This phrase, consecrate yourselves, it literally means to be set apart, or it also means to make yourself holy. Consecrate yourselves, make yourself holy. Here's the deal. That's impossible. That is impossible. The only way that being made holy comes about in our lives, the only way that we're shaped into the likeness of Christ is to surrender our lives to the will of Christ. The way that you and I are consecrated, the way that you and I are set apart is through this right here. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, when he gave himself, when he was broken and poured out for us on the cross, that's what wins our salvation. No work on our part, surrender on our part. Surrender on our part. 
So he wins for us our salvation through the cross. This is what sets us apart. This is what makes us holy, not ourselves, not ourselves. So over the next few moments, we are going to share in a time of being consecrated, of being set apart. And when we pray over these elements, uh, the phrase is often used that the elements are consecrated. They are set apart for a special purpose. You can go into Walmart and you can buy this bread. All right. And you can go in and you can buy this juice. But in this holy moment, it's set apart for something completely different. And it becomes for us the body of Christ and the blood of Christ poured out for our salvation. So over the next few moments, we're going to do something that we absolutely love to do as a family here. And that is to share in the body and the blood of Jesus. We're going to take our time like we like to do, all right? We're going to go slow with this. And like we often say, there's going to be a cup that comes by, not like a little tiny little thing, all right? We're talking a cup with enough juice for you to like savor for a minute, okay? And as we love to say about the bread, with the big chunks of bread that are going to come by, enough grace for you to choke on, all right? (laughs) We love to say that. Moses, Lord of the Rings, enough grace for you to choke on. All right. (laughs) It's part of our liturgy here. I love it. (laughs) That's what we believe, man. We believe. So take your time. Experience this. Experience the grace of God in this moment. The grace that sets you apart. The grace that allows you to live in this world as influencing the world through the grace of God. And yet at the same time, being set apart and and being in that process of being made like Jesus through the sacrifice of Jesus. So Jesus was with his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it in front of them, saying to them, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. And because my body is broken, you will be made whole. And you will be healed. And then he took the cup. And he said to them, and he passed it to them. And he said, this wine represents my blood, which is poured out for your salvation. And through the blood that flows from me, you are washed clean. Your sins are no more. So as we pass this, as we share in this, experience the body that was broken to make you whole and experience the blood that was spilled to make you clean so that you could experience forgiveness in your life and freedom in your life. Consecrate yourselves as God consecrates you and makes you like his son through the grace poured out and broken for you. Father, thank you for the grace broken and poured out through your son, Jesus Christ. Today, we accept it and we taste it and we see that you are good. Amen. As they consecrated themselves and they began to make their way across the Jordan, there was this statement that God made to them. 
that said, when the priest carrying the ark gets to the edge of the Jordan River, when they put their feet in the water, then immediately the river will stop flowing. The water will part and open up for them. And they will be able to cross over on dry land. Sound familiar at all to anybody? As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. God's faithfulness in the past fuels courage for the present, stirs hope for the future. I find it amazing, though, that they didn't just get to the edge of the water and wait for it to stop. God said, you've got to put your feet in first. And when the feet touch the water, that's when the water will stop. That's when the water will stop. You have to have faith enough to get your feet wet. You've got to be willing to take that step and step into it. Now here's the deal. It tells us right in there, it says, Now the Jordan was at flood stage all during the harvest. So the Jordan River is at flood stage now. Normally the river was about 80 to 100 yards across. During flood stage, the river would fill up its entire bed there, the bed that it had carved out. It would fill up the entire thing and could be as much as a mile across. So the width has increased. The speed, obviously, of the river flowing has increased. The danger and the depth has increased. It's that full-fledged danger stage. But God said, put your feet in the water. What happens if God doesn't come through for them? They're done. They are done. But that is the best place to be. That is the best place to be. My prayer for each and every one of us as individuals and as a collective family here would be that we would live in such a way that if God does not step in for us, we are done. We are done. Let's not stand on the edge of the river waiting for it to stop for us. Let's have faith enough to believe to take the step. I believe that a turning point in the life of this church came at a moment when we stopped asking the question, what happens if this doesn't work? What happens if this doesn't work? And we said, whether it works or not, he's asking us to do it. Let's take the step. Let's take the step. You've got to put your feet in the water. Then the final thing that happens as the river parts, as they put their feet in it, all of a sudden, history repeats itself. God comes through again, just like he did in the past. And they walk across on dry land. As soon as they step foot on the other side, and they look back at where they had come through, man, can you imagine? 40 years of waiting for this, and now your feet are finally on the other side of it. All of the promises, all of the waiting, absolutely worth it. Absolutely worth it. All of the wondering of, will this ever happen? Finally, it happened absolutely worth it. And as they step foot on the other side, God says, before the water goes back, I want you to do something. This is going to be fun. I want you to pick one man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, each of the 12 families of Jacob. And I want you to go to the, to the bed of the river there, the dry bed, and I want you to pick up a rock and I want you to place it, stack them together on the other side of the bank. 
And then this is a beautiful statement. It says this, let it be a sign among you so that in the future, children will ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? And the fathers will tell their children. This is where God did something amazing. This is where God did something amazing. Dad, tell me the story. What happened here? What do these stones mean? Let me tell you. Let me tell you about it. This is a great story. I love it. I love it. Build a monument. Make a monument for what God has done as a memory of what God has done, as a sign among you of what God has done. A final challenge for us this morning is I want for you, I want to challenge you to make a monument. I want for all of us together to make a monument. Not the kind that is stagnant and stands in one place like a statue, but the kind that is on the move. A monument in motion. That is a sign and a symbol in this town of what God's love looks like for the people in our community. A monument on the move, a monument in motion. What do these stones mean? What do these stacks of rocks, what do these stones mean? Well, let me tell you. This tells the story of where God did something amazing. Of where love showed up. And completely turned the story on its head. What do these stones mean? I can't wait to tell you the story of what these mean. I want to invite you in just a moment here to move out of your seat. If you want to embrace this idea of becoming a living monument so that everywhere you go, the kingdom is expanded. With every place you step your foot, a new flag for the kingdom is planted. If you want to be a part of this story, what do these stones mean? They spell out the story of what love looks like, what God's love looks like breaking into this world. Then we're going to invite you in just a moment to stand up. And I'd encourage you probably stand up, come this way, make your way out, grab a stone, grab a stone, and you can make your way back to your seat. The stone that you take with you is a sign and symbol of what God has done, and of what God will do. We have courage and we have hope about what is yet to come. The story is not finished yet. So take this stone with you. Put it in your pocket so that you're walking around and you put your hand in your pocket and you fill the stone and you remember, yeah, I want to live my life as a moving monument so that everywhere I go, the story of love is unfolding and unfurling with me. Or maybe you put it in your purse so you're digging through and you feel it. And what is that? And you remember it. That's right. What does this stone mean? And you remember what it means. Or maybe, maybe sometime today or this week, you perform a love mission. You embark on a love mission. This is the whole way we started. Before we ever met for worship, we were trying to find creative ways to display the mercy and grace of God in this community. Ways that were under the radar, yet plain and clear for people. That they experienced something that was different. That love broke in and interrupted the normal pattern of the day. So maybe you want to do one of those. Get creative with it. As you go out, we've got some papers to hand you that, that can spark your creativity.
and give you some suggestions. And maybe after you do that, after you share a meal with somebody on Franklin Street and give them not just money, but a meal and your time and your ear and your smile. Or maybe as you hug somebody that you know definitely needs it. Or you show love in all the creative ways that it wants to show itself. Maybe you leave behind this stone and you leave it there, marking it. And somebody will come by and will say, what is this stone about? What does this stone mean? And you and I will know what it means. It means that we are living monuments, monuments in motion, saying to the world, this is what love looks like. And I want to be a part of that story. Come, grab a stone and become a monument on the move.